Hello, I'm Claire from Wild Ginger Running, the trail and ultra running YouTube channel. And this is the podcast version of my weekly live chat with an athlete, coach or other running expert. The link to the original film on YouTube is in the show notes. Check out my Instagram and YouTube channel for more training advice, inspiration and gear reviews. Everything is Wild Ginger Running and my blog is wildgingerrunning.co.uk. Support me on Patreon if you enjoy this free advice at patreon.com slash wildgingerrunning. Enjoy this podcast and see you next week for more. Good evening. Good evening and welcome to the last ever last ever last really, is ever this time. we've threatened it before but we, then came back <laughs> we, well yeah we, we, we did come back on a part-time basis but this is our last ever interview here for claire on wild ginger running and uh yes sherlock is already kind of snoring between yeah, us he's already a blanket kind of giving <laughs> for it all time attention, so we do apologize if you kind of hear him snoring and sighing in the background i also look slightly red i managed to get sunburn on on Sunday. So if you are watching this live on YouTube or you're watching it back on YouTube, I'm not embarrassed. Um, I managed to catch the sun. The joys of being a ginger. I've been a ginger for 46 years and I should know about putting sun cream on. Went for a long run on Sunday, raining, and then the sun came out and I got sunburnt. So uh, yeah, I look wonderfully red tonight. How are you doing, Jen? I'm all right. Well, my hair's still wet after I've just been for a run. So you I just look like I've got really greasy hair. Excellent. <laughs> we apart look, from that, we look great. We look wonderful. Don't <laughs> anyway, and Alex, the holiday was already kind of joined us. He's given us a wave. Good evening, Alex. Anyway, let's bring on our final guest. I hope she's honoured. <laughs> honoured. And, and I hope you've done an amazing bio, amazing introduction. Of always, like, always. By, you know, we've been doing this six months. I always have them prepared now. Wonderfully prepared, <laughs> wonderfully prepped. Who is our final guest here? Our on final Monday? guest, I'm so excited about this because we've had it planned for months, but we've been waiting for a book to come out, is Elise Downing. And she has written a book, which I think she'll tell us, but I think it's actually officially out tomorrow but there seems to be copies floating around and I've had one and her book is called Coasting and it's about her journey um her meticulously planned ultra running record breaking journey around the coast that's right isn't it I mean it it all just went to plan <laughs> yeah I um recorded a podcast episode a couple of weeks ago and they put in their introduction you can't possibly overstate how unprepared Elise was <laughs> <laughs> your last guest i didn't realize that when we arranged this so. yeah 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 this is it you're, you're our last one and we're going uh, out with a bang so you can swear you can whatever yeah that's it we, claire would just have to get that bleeper on when they kind of release it again on youtube or on podcast um, but we have had we have had one or two swears but it's, you know it's not bit, but, but feel free to swear you know um and we understand that you're kind of under house arrest as well yeah, I got the dreaded text with the track and trace app on Monday saying that I had to self-isolate until Friday. Luck well, not luckily, but the person who, whoever the random person I had contact with, hadn't reported that they'd got COVID for five days. So I skipped the first five days of my 10-day isolation right. because I didn't know it was meant to happen. So <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so would you have had lots of um, book launch in-person events or has it all been online still? Yeah, all, yeah, all the kind of like pressy type stuff has still been online. And there was going to be a um, kind of actual book on the Friday night, um, but that COVID was getting pushed back and changed. So I think my friends had some kind of surprise 
which I can still go. So that's exciting. <laughs> well, congratulations on the book. Um, which is coasting. I think we've got a picture to put up of the front cover. Um, I've read it and it was just fantastic. Um, so how does it feel having it out in print in your hands now? Yeah, quite weird. I think because, um, I don't know, I guess with a book, you like sit at your kitchen table and just write it. Well, I did. I Personally, I did it at my kitchen table for months. And then it's like out in the world and it's really strange well, I guess normally like you write something to I don't know put on Instagram or a blog and it's just out there immediately it's quite definitely like a time delay I'm not used to and I think when you're writing something at your kitchen table you don't really think about the like world actually reading it and now I'm like oh some quite personal bits in there and they're on the shelves of Waterstones so um no but how does that feel like imagine it being quite therapeutic maybe that you've kind of held on to some guilt or shame and suddenly it's out there so you know let it go I think that's quite good is Waterstones kind of put their copies out nearly two weeks earlier than well I think quite often bookshops I didn't realize this publishing's weird it turns out bookshops send books out a couple of days earlier than they're really meant to but Waterstones were really ahead of the game so everyone started reading it before I was I was waiting thinking it would be like tomorrow and I was really nervous about this day that people started reading the book but it kind of was quite nice really because it felt like a lot less pressure because it happened really unexpectedly and now like my mum's read it my grandma's read it some strangers have read it and no one everyone's been really nice so that's (laughs) no I mean I thought it was brilliant and I love the honesty in it that's what makes it such a good book I think and if you tried to water that down and make it that everything was great and you were perfect it would just not have been the same story yeah I really appreciate that feedback I think I didn't like I finished the run five years ago now so it took me a little while to actually put pen to paper and I I didn't want to write a book unless I was like ready to be quite honest about it because I just don't think it's very helpful to anyone to release this like sugar-coated adventure story or equally like I hate it when people kind of ham up the really hard bits and it's like (laughs) the brutal (laughs) element (laughs) breakfast and I'm like a lot of it was quite like mundane (laughs) I I wanted to be honest about it and it took me a while to like feel ready to do that but it's yeah it's just like every time anyone says anything nice about it it makes my week so (laughs) thanks I really appreciate it Cool. So we're talking about what what is the the story behind the book for those who maybe are joining us live tonight, uh, joining us on the podcast, maybe read the show notes. But what is the the story, the premise behind the book? Yeah, I actually keep forgetting to mention that bit. I keep talking about <laughs> writing a book, and I'm like, I'm not telling anyone what this book is about. Um, so basically, well, I finished five years ago, but in on November the first, 2015, I set off to run a whole loop of Great Britain, kind of self-supported mostly. I had a lot of help from strangers, but carrying my, I didn't have a support crew. I was carrying my kit on my back. Um, and yeah, it took, it was about 5,000 miles. It took 10 months in the end. And as Jen has kind of alluded to, I had no idea what I was doing. My preparation was awful. <laughs> so I really wasn't much of a runner beforehand. Um, yeah, so the book's kind of about building up to the run and then actually being on it and all the kind of weird and wonderful things that happen on an adventure. <laughs> and just going to to the decision that made you go and run this crazy adventure, like how did you come up with that when you say like you weren't a runner? <laughs> Yeah, so I've been I've been running for a couple. Of, I, I will, I'm sure we'll talk about this a bit more. But I've been running for a couple of years at that point, but very sort of sporadically. Like I'd done a half marathon, one really disastrous marathon. I really wasn't 
an experienced ultra runner. I don't think I even knew what there was to like. I didn't realize how much there was to ultra running and how many people were out there doing all these incredible things. I, I didn't. I think ignorance is bliss. I didn't know what I didn't know, to be honest. Um, but I'd kind of just finished university and I was doing a graduate job in London and my like, my job was fine but I think it's, it always sounds like such a cliche but I thought of sitting at that desk for another kind of 40 years I was like this is terrible um I had a not very nice boyfriend who kind of I talk about in the book and I was living in a flat that took all of my kind of graduate salary in London and I was just like this is not what it cracked up to be and I kind of always liked the idea of going on a big adventure um and then the idea to run around the coast britain literally just came to me when i was looking at a map at work one day to see if we could deliver something to a customer and somehow it almost felt like the easy way out i was like if i do this it would sound quite impressive and it'd be all exciting and it would be a really good excuse to quit my job and like yeah quit my job leave my flat rather than admitting that because i've all my friends were kind of starting their careers and really excited and i was like oh i just yeah so going to big French felt like the easy way to not have to do that basically <laughs> the ultimate avoidance so, yeah so you, I mean you talk you talk about telling your boss in the pub don't you like like yeah. over drinks but I mean you kind of briefly touched about there you know being doing a bit of running but as, as a kid though were you were you adventurous because I mean I, I I've not had a chance to read the full book <laughs> so uh, we're journalists <laughs> but I've kind of gotten through certain bits um you know, as, as a kid, because you don't kind of talk a little bit about it unless I've kind of missed those bits. But as a child, were you ever adventurous? Was there ever that kind of like maybe a bit of passion in there or a little bit of intrigue of, you know, because obviously getting into a nine to five job, sitting at a desk, you suddenly realise this isn't for me. But yeah. as, as a kid, was there ever that kind of like, ah, get me in the outdoors, get me in some mud, I'm happy, just some bit of a kind of ad hoc adventure? Yeah, definitely. So I think whenever people ask this, I used to always be like a flat no. I was like really unadventurous, and I definitely wasn't a sporty kid. Like my brother was the runner in our family. I didn't. I think when I was at school, I also saw sport as like you do it if you're really good at it, and you do it competitively. And if not, you don't really bother. So I yeah, I didn't. I didn't do any kind of traditional sports at school. I didn't play netball or go running or anything. But my dad like loves hiking and walking, and just because he had to take me or he couldn't go because he was looking after me he definitely like dragged me up quite a lot of mountains when I was a kid and we spent a lot of time kind of yeah in the garden getting muddy and I think yeah I probably kind of underestimate a bit that that definitely had a bit of an impact even though my dad finds it hilarious that I like doing these things now because I used to just moan about them endlessly but I guess I knew I felt like going for walks and hikes and going up mountains and stuff like that was quite normal in a way that now I've definitely got friends who didn't do that at all as kids and they think oh my gosh going to the mountains like a, a, a big deal whereas that was just something we'd do on a Saturday would like drive to the Peak District and walk up a hill so definitely yeah but spent a lot of time getting muddy as kind of a younger child but as soon as I became a teenager I wasn't interested in that at all like most people aren't really but when I was at university I'd um basically I did an extra year at uni than all my friends um and I needed to make some new friends so I joined every society going and that included like winter sea kayaking and then I signed up to every space camp and that's really how I got into like the adventure side of things it was in that final year of uni which was a real departure to my first year of uni where all I'd done is go to Oceana and drink a lot of Sainsbury's Basics vodka but um <laughs> that was kind of when I got into adventure and that was when I started running as well cool so yeah so that kind of then obviously leaks into when you get into the job nine to five and realize actually this is not how I want to be spending the, the rest of my but you, you, you kind of plan that you know, you see the map and you plan the route. 
What was there any time though when you're planning that, like thinking this is this is just beyond me? I'm just because in in the book you kind of like seem like really focused and driven. Like no, I'm going to do this. I'm telling my friends, and it's almost like by telling your friends, you you're committing yourself. You're sharing that goal, so you're then committing yourself. But did, was there any any time doubt like? Really, what am I letting myself in for? Can I can I do this? Can I afford it? You know, will I be able to complete it? Yeah, I think those two things kind of existed, but completely like parallel to each other. Like, I was, it's weird to look back on because now, especially now, I've like done a bit more running. I think that is ridiculous. There's no way I can do that. But I yeah, I somehow I don't know why I just had this idea and I just felt very sure that I was going to give it a go but at the exact same time was completely terrified and had no idea how I was going to do it and worried about all of those things but yeah I just kind of felt like it was something I was going to have a go at but also I was following online lots of other people kind of having adventures like at the time like Sean Conway was doing his length of Britain triathlon and Adam Enough was running the length of New Zealand and I was watching those people have these adventures and I think I just sort of thought well they're just another person like if they can do these things maybe I can but like Adam Enough is an ex-GB rower and the daughter of two Olympians so I think I was maybe like my they're just another person strategy was a bit misguided but um yeah I think I was just I was following these people and thinking, well, these they're doing these big adventures. Maybe I can, but equally, yeah, especially when it got a bit closer. I think at the time I just felt quite relieved that I had a bit of a plan. I was like, I'm going to go do this thing. And then as it got a bit closer, I was like, well, yeah, I didn't know, know if I'd saved up enough money. And I was like, I've actually got to go and do this thing. And I'd go for like, I had these grand hopes doing this training that didn't really happen. And I'd go for like a not very far run and be like, this is really hard. I like, what am I doing? Um, so yeah, but weirdly those things existed like completely in parallel. <laughs> so you say you kind of do some. <laughs> So you started, you did some some training, but did you then, so we, we spoke to Dan Lawson a couple of weeks ago, who yeah. kind of ran Lions End John O'Groats and had a lot, I mean, where he, he had a team that did a lot of his planning for him. He, was mentioned he outsourced that Robbie. it, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, <laughs> he admitted that if he didn't have Robbie Britton kind of doing all the planning for it. I, I, and the bits I read in the book, to me, it didn't sound like you had a very clear, like, right, I'm going to go from this point to that point, to this point, to that point, to this point. <laughs> you know, this is going to take me, 30 days, 400 days, whatever, how many days. Uh, and and you know, as, as an ultra runner myself... There's no spreadsheets. There was no spreadsheets. <laughs> I know. Well, as, as I went through the book, I was like, there's got to be a spreadsheet somewhere in this. There's got to be... I mean, you have them for 15-mile runs. <laughs> well, not so much, but anyway. So do I now? Like, now, if I'm going for a 5K run, I've, like, plotted the routes. I've got a spreadsheet. I've got, like... So I am that person now. But at the time, I just, like... I just didn't... I just didn't know. And, like... I think also the good it I think it almost seems a bit like like I say it quite flippantly that I was like completely unprepared. But because it was so long, I didn't need to really like hit the ground running on day one. Like when you're doing a really long run for like a day or even a week or or even if you're doing something really long but you're really trying to do like super long miles every day, you obviously need to get to the starting point able to do that. Yeah. Whereas I didn't really know how long it would take. And I was like, I could at the beginning, I wasn't really doing that much. Like a lot of days I'd be running like 10 miles, sometimes less, then a bit more. And it was, I feel like I almost built it up over those 10 months in the way they tell you to build up your like running mileage. Like I probably was only adding like 10% on a week or whatever it is they tell you to do. And I think because it was in the UK, I just sort of felt like I could always just get a train home. It wasn't like I'd gone to the jungle somewhere. And I think for me, part of it was 
going and like just sort of finding all those things out like it wasn't it wasn't that I wanted to go and do this very like physical challenge the physical part was almost just like the means to going on a bit of an adventure so whereas now I'm definitely the spreadsheet runner at all times <laughs> I just yeah get the laminator next and then you have them laminated and then they're not gonna get gonna get small but i mean talking about so yeah in the book you do have and we're probably jumping ahead of ourselves in the book but you do kind of if we can say have bailout points or points where you then go home for a while and and come back in now for some people they might go well that's not a very purist approach to it that you know this is a bit kind of hang on you said you're going to do this route but were you completely happy with that? Was it just part of the ethos? This was just a journey like you needed to complete and then how many days and then the way you did it, it wasn't a problem. Yeah, so I think in terms of kind of like, yeah, I went home twice and actually I did really like grapple with that because I did feel like it wasn't very pure. And the, the first time was, and I hadn't planned to go home at all. Like I spent Christmas with somebody who had really kind of invited me to stay and I really wasn't planning to. And then I got a bit injured and I needed to take a week off running. And I just thought there is no point me sitting, I think I was in Devon at the time, spending quite a lot of money to be somewhere when I could just get on a train and go home. Like I was, I think I was trying to act like I was having an adventure, like I was in the middle of a jungle somewhere, but I wasn't. And I was like, why am I like, this is ridiculous. And then, so I don't know why I worried about that quite so much, but um, so yeah, I did go home twice in the end. And, and I think what I tried really hard to get across in the book is this, wasn't meant to be like a really like purist trip there were a couple of bits like there's a bit I talk about where I ended up on like the side of a dual carriageway and the options were either run a mile down this dual carriageway or like do like a 20 mile detour and then someone offered me a lift and I took a lift because I was like I'd rather I don't it's a mile what does it matter and I think but I know and I think that's obviously very different to if you're saying you're doing like a really strict say like Land's End to John O'Groats record and what you're saying you're doing is this like incredible like impressive feat then obviously I completely agree it needs all the like tracking and GPSs and monitoring and stuff but I was like that wasn't really what my trip was about so but I definitely had a lot of moments feeling like I was cheating and I was like what am I cheating at here exactly (laughs) I thought that that was really insightful when you were saying it came quite a lot later in the book but kind of you realize that all those those feelings about cheating or guilt like you you just put that on yourself like you've never told anybody you were going to do it in a certain way and nobody expected you to do it in a certain way so I thought that was really good and something that we could all take into our own lives like actually what are we what pressure are we just putting on ourselves when we don't need to <laughs> yeah and I think obviously it's really different if you're an elite athlete like breaking a world record but most of us are it's <laughs> like this is meant to be enjoyable and I don't know why yeah I didn't know I don't know why I'm acting like and I think the thing was in my head it was as if I was getting messages every day of people being like you're cheating because you did this and nobody was saying anything like that at all like you say it was 100% in my own head I don't think anyone would have cared and you were kind of in the book I want to go back and have a look at some of them the ones that you mentioned but you were had a Facebook page because you were raising money for charity at the same time and you were doing were, were the updates every day or were they just every few days when you had battery and reception um and also like when you did go home did you put that on the Facebook page or was that something that you wanted to to not talk about yeah so the I basically I started making these videos because I, I, again it's one of those things that looking back now I'm like I I can't believe I wasn't embarrassed 
buy them but I'm glad I did them because I think that that like one of the most kind of rewarding things that came out of it is I met all these in- incredible people and and I had like such a positive experience of social media and the kind of online communities through that I just met all these amazing people and I think those video diaries probably did help to like bring it to life a bit for people even if they're a bit cringy to watch back but I basically just started watching them because making them it was like day two and I think I'd planned to like blog a bit but I realized that that was quite exhausting and like whereas making a 30 second talk to camera video wasn't and I started putting them up and my yeah my friends took the piss a bit but you know they got over it eventually <laughs> and I mostly I'd put them up kind of most days any days that anything interesting enough to actually talk about happened like sometimes just nothing happened so yeah m- most days I'd put a video up um and it was a really nice way to connect people and yeah like, I think I wrote a whole blog post about the fact that I'd gone home for a week mostly again to like ease my own conscience because I, I think also and again this is why I tried to be really transparent about it in the book I don't I didn't want anyone to sort of accuse me of breaking a rule that wasn't a rule like I know that I didn't have three GPS trackers and I didn't purely cover like every single inch and I'm not trying to say that I did so yeah I think I probably overcompensated a bit trying to be like, honest about those bits justifying it <laughs> To read my blog post about getting on a train to Northampton, but I wrote it out in like glorious detail. <laughs> and you just touched on it there, but one of the most amazing things in the book, which I guess you had no idea was going to be such a big thing, was just all the strangers that opened up their homes to you and they were like doing your washing, cooking. It sounded like an amazing trip in that sense. Free breakfast. Yeah croissants at breakfast (laughs) and packed lunches and they were just like all this homemade food that they were sending you off with yeah like there's a point in the middle where when I was re-watching these videos I've definitely like put on quite a bit of weight and I think because I'm staying with these people and they're making like all this food for me but I I really really if it hadn't been for how generous and kind of work I don't know if I would have finished it to be honest that I set off with a tent on my back and I thought I'd camp my way and I'd, I'd also I just had in my head that the second I set foot on to start this adventure I'd be this really adventurous brave person and I like nothing would ever be wrong again and obviously I took the first step of the adventure and I was exactly the same person as before and I've never done any wild camping before and it was the middle of winter it was dark at four o'clock and especially like I was really scared about the more remote sections, but actually it's the more built up ones that were more difficult because obviously you're in the highlands of Scotland or like wherever, you can just fling a tent up, no one's gonna see you, it's fine. Whereas when you're, there were quite a lot of places along the south coast of England where it just wasn't really like possible. It's just like water, well maybe if you're a bit braver than me, but I like, yeah, whereas I basically, I yeah, started like making these videos and mostly due to my brother spamming every running Facebook page out there with my page, like people started to watch them and then, a combination of those people and it was a lot of like friends of friends and it would end up this like web of people like I'd stay with a friend of a friend and then they'd get a map out and say oh I know this person here if you'd like to stay with them and it was just overwhelming how kind people were and if it it wasn't them and I'd actually had to put up my tent every single night through the winter in these really scary places I'm not sure I would have like I'd I don't have that much faith that I wouldn't have given up, to be honest. Um, but there were times when it always felt a bit too luxurious. And I was like, yeah, that's right. Like, these are being so nice to me. And they're being nice to me because they think I'm having a really hard time. But actually, I've stayed with five other nice people to get here. So, um, yeah, I definitely grappled with that bit as well. <laughs> that, that, yeah, so you say you grappled with that. And, that, you know, how, how are you talking about feeling safe, you know, feeling safe in the highlands and, and not in and other places and with what's 
you know, happen with female runners talking about how unsafe they feel as a, as a female runner. Did you ever have that feeling as well as being alone, kind of walk on your own in fairly remote places sometimes, or even in built up areas? Did you ever kind of feel a bit like, am I, am I in the right place? Am I safe here? I definitely felt that more in like built up places. And I feel that more running around where I live in Bristol or especially when I lived in London than like I generally feel like quite safe in actually quite remote places because I think for the most part people who frankly want to like do harm don't lurk around on a coast path that no one's running down whereas people unfortunately don't do do horrible things to people like in like like statistically yeah. you're probably a lot safer in those kind of places and my dad was actually like people always ask him if he was worried and he does a lot of kind of hiking and trail running and he he says the same he was like I feel way more worried about you when you're walking back to your flat at late at night in London by yourself than I ever did when you were running around the coast um so yeah I felt that kind of thing was fine in terms of like staying with people I didn't just like accept any offer that I had like I said a lot of it would be like it ended up this interconnected web of people and it'd be a friend of a friend of a friend and you'd stay with someone and they'd put you in touch with someone else or quite a lot of times it was people from like a running club and there was this quite like central sort of like quite like safe kind of feeling network of people and I mostly only really accepted offers from honestly like families people with kids like if someone was on their own I generally look kind of politely turn them down because I think as much as I think those people were probably just being just as incredible and nice as everyone else you do have to be careful don't you but um yeah so the actual being in the wild sorry that was a real tangent but no, I found fine but it's definitely yeah going through cities and stuff that I found worse yeah, because as, as a bloke, you know, as a male runner, I'd never experienced anything like that. It's, it's yeah. you know, and it's uh, unbelievable how female runners and how females are made to feel so unsafe and in different places. Men just need to be re-educated, you know, um, how they should behave. Yeah, in. yeah I mean, I, I completely, completely agree. And so, but something I... I do think about sometimes, and it in absolutely no way, like, makes up for all the, like, fear we live with on a daily basis. But if I had been kind of a man and been, I don't know maybe more threatening in appearance I would quite as many people have like welcomed me into their homes and it, like I was reading bedtime stories to people's kids and like and I don't know like I do think it's a real privilege to be allowed into people's homes and I guess maybe sometimes that's and I, I've read someone else talk about that in a much more like eloquent way but I think maybe that's sometimes a, a bonus to traveling as a woman that maybe people are a bit more kind of accommodating in that sort of setting and like and not that it yeah doesn't in any way kind of make up for all the danger but yeah. I do feel really privileged to have been allowed to go into so many people's houses really yeah I suppose it's just stereotypes isn't it you, you, yeah. you know, and people's own perceptions because of that the stereotypes yeah. and what people kind of yeah have a judge in ways which isn't always very very helpful yeah. sorry Jen I interrupted you there I was going to put some photos up of oh, you yeah. running around. <laughs> Sorry for the people on the podcast, you won't get the benefit, but there weren't photos in the book. So I've got you, we're putting on screen now, you started. So t talk about why you started in the middle of a park in London. <laughs> yeah, so basically I was, I couldn't quite work out where to start because I'm from the middle of the Midlands. I'm from Northampton, pretty much. I think the furthest place from the sea in the whole UK is like 20 minutes down the road from the house I grew up in. So don't really have any like connection to the coast in that way. And I was living in London at the time and you have to come in kind of a fair way just across the Thames. And to start in London, it only added about 30 miles onto the whole, which in the grand scheme of the whole thing, 
wasn't much so it, it just kind of made sense um and I started in Greenwich because that's kind of like a bit further east along the Thames and a friend suggested I started at the Maritime Museum because of the connection to the coast so that was it <laughs> like start the Maritime Museum so that's what I did and one, who's wonderfully, the, um... wonderfully tenuous I, 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 as someone who loves tenuous links I, I like that that's a brilliant tenuous link that's like yeah good good tenuous link. you've got quite a, a gaggle of people there are they just mates that were seeing you off or was there anything more organized somebody's on a scooter they're going to be cheating they're going to be they quiet. they ended up in the pub a few minutes later from what i remember in the book it's <laughs> very hard they clearly that's my friend harriet and mimi harriet was really excited she got in the book on her scooter are these, um, are these adventurers or just mates that were thinking what the hell are you doing so my mum and dad are there um oh, was that most... you got the yellow top at the end on yeah the... i think so and then my dad's the bald man <laughs> <laughs> and yes yeah, so there's my mum and dad some friends and then kind of a few months before I set off, I'd started going like camping and doing outdoorsy stuff with the Yes Tribe in London, who at the time was a group of people that Dave caught with and a lot of adventures are kind of basically started to build this online community. Really tiny at the time. There were like six of us on the first camp out, but I've made quite a lot of friends through that who liked doing these sort of mad things in a way that at the time my like previous my my my, still my friends didn't they just didn't like doing that sort of stuff at the time um and so yeah I think a few people from the yes tribe are there but mostly mostly just friends really looking a bit bemused and thinking is she actually setting off on this thing this was November wasn't it and I did wonder when you had set off in November like why the hell would you start this in like the worst months ever but you did justify it a bit later on as to why that was was a good idea some planning was there no no there wasn't it just worked out for the best (laughs) So we still think that setting off in November was a good good time to do that. Yeah, I really I stand by this wholeheartedly because I think because it was ten months, there was no I was always gonna have to do it in some quite bad weather. Like there was no way to skip that completely. And obviously I guess I could have started maybe in like February and skipped sort of like December and January, which are maybe the worst months. But I think going from summer still back into kind of autumn and it getting darker and still having to go into like quite bad cold weather again would have just mentally been so difficult. Whereas as it was kind of the beginning was really hard and the end just got better and better. So I didn't think it through like that at the time. I do really think that mentally going back into a winter would have just been horrible. So, yeah, I'm I'm glad that I started it up started then now although I didn't think that in November December January when my feet were wet for four months I mean did you actually have a head torch because you always seem to either finish or pull out before it got dark and I was like has she packed a head torch (laughs) so yeah I never did any running in the dark I don't think but again because by the end of the summer I was doing like a lot longer distances but still never anything more than you could do in daylight like I think if you're doing something for 10 months like you're probably not going to be doing regular kind of 16 hour days um but I didn't have a head torch at first and then I think I tweeted saying I didn't have one and Outkit really kindly sent me one so and it's still the head torch I use today so thanks have you, have you used it <laughs> time now and I mean, for somebody, I mean, I like my little multi-day things, not not to the level of this. But I mean, I don't take anything that I'm not going to need unless it's like an emergency one. But I mean, the stuff you were carrying, I mean, you carried a tent for how long before you ever used it? Or well, then it got sent home, didn't it, for a while? 
yeah, I eventually sent when I basically realised that I probably wasn't going to camp over the winter, and especially where it was really populated, like yeah, like I said, I just can't believe how many people put me up for the night. Um, so eventually, I think my dad convinced me. He was like, "You're not using this. Why are you carrying?" And again, this was just one of those rules that I had in my head that I had to do. So he eventually convinced me to let him take it home when he came to visit. Um, yeah, so I think the only thing I think I had, other than the camping kit when I wasn't using it, that was completely surplus to requirements was the Rubik's Cube, <laughs> which I will admit was not necessary. Did you finish with that? You didn't like think a few days later, actually, I'll just give this to someone because I'm never going to need this in the next 10 months or eight no, months. Yeah, somebody I stayed with, I started playing with this Rubik's Cube. It was her child. And then she made me take it the next day because we'd got really close to finishing it. I did finish it the next day. And I just really had this vision of like practicing it in all my free moments. And I was like, this will be a really good thing. Like, it'll be really cool to say that I got really good at the Rubik's Cube. And I obviously never touched it again. It was. I mean, so... you were carrying a book at one point. You said you had a novel. And I'm like, what? what? the whole time I still quite often carry a book on multi-day runs though because there was so much downtime like I I don't know what I would have done without a book so <laughs> I stand by the book as well actually <laughs> but, but about a kindle sure isn't isn't a kindle better because you can it's a lot smaller and lighter or is that just me being a lightweight geek I just don't take I took one when I walked the coast to coast but yeah. if I'm running no chance <laughs> uh, yeah no I took a book and I took a book I ran the Tour de Mont Blanc route with my dad a couple of years ago and I had a book I, I regularly run with a book. I, st- I stick by that. Um, Is that so you can thwart off any men? And, who then might just... <laughs> and then in terms of clothes, so I've got a photo of you oh, and your hair? your shoes that I think this is the pathetic hotel hairdryer that you're trying to um, sort those out. So I, you only had one pair of shoes, but what other kit were you carrying? So I had with me, basically I had two sets of running kit and I would use one to run in at any given time and then the other one would be like my dry set yes. for the <laughs> yeah which I need to call my clean set but quite often especially when I was actually camping a lot in the summer and I wasn't staying with people I would have worn it for like two weeks at a time but it just wasn't muddy and sweaty so it was it was very clean so that would just be yeah like so I had two sets of running kit basically leggings in the winter and then shorts in the summer and then I had a down jacket a raincoat um a woolly hat for the evenings, like a cap for the um, uh, warmer days. And that was about it, really, in terms of clothes, I think. Yeah, I think I had, like, two running T-shirts, shorts or leggings, sports bras, and then, like, a, a fleece top for the evening, down jacket, raincoat. Um, yeah, it changed a bit seasonally because my dad visited every month, so quite often I'd swap kit in and out with him a little bit. Again, it's like quite different to if you're going somewhere really remote and literally what you go with is what you've got. Again, being in the UK, like I passed shops a lot. Like I've ended up swapping stuff in and out quite a bit, which was good. I think just because I got bored of the sight of it, to be honest. So just, here you go, have this T-shirt, bring me a new one. Got a few holes in. But... You, you didn't, hit, <laughs> didn't hit the laundrette at any point then? Shouldn't no, but... five-star like, uh, oh, bed and breakfast. <laughs> I would when I was staying with people quite often they'd ask if I wanted them to do any laundry and also say yes and I'd arrive with my little pile and they'd be like oh we can do it all and I was like no this is all I've got except for literally what I'm wearing <laughs> so but generally yeah so if somebody did some washing for me they'd wash like the dirty set and then I'd swap and the clean set would become the dirty set and I think my like number one tip if anyone's ever doing anything like this is you just have to be like fastidious about keeping your clean your dry set and your wet set of clothes wet and dry um otherwise everything's gross and even it's horrible putting the wet stuff back on in the morning especially if it's raining it's going to get wet again in five minutes anyway so 
um, yeah, top tip, keep your dry clothes dry. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And talk, talking about top tips um, and, and even about rules, Alex, do, um, do hot top has uh, mentioned on YouTube is watching us live, says you always set your own adventure rules, uh, which Jenny Graham said, said the same when her around the world cycle. So, yeah, I think it, it's interesting, isn't it? When we talked earlier about setting the rules and like, things like people doing the records and the fastest known times, it tends to be a little bit more parameters you've got to work in. But when you're doing these adventures, then yeah, you, you create your own rules. And it's not like you're trying to get around that coast in the fastest time ever. Yeah, um, and I think they're like, they're meant to be enjoyable to some extent. And I think obviously like to be able to go and do this thing, I was so lucky, so privileged. And if it was really, obviously there were a lot of hard moments. And I realized when I was yeah trying to edit together a bit of a montage of videos last night, quite how much I moaned about the weather, which uh, like a break of record. And obviously these things are hard, but if you're not like fundamentally enjoying it, kind of what, it, what is the point like um so I try to see the bright side in it a bit and then I think that's where the rules come in like there's no point just arbitrarily sticking to a completely made up rule when like you said obviously it's different if you're doing like an FKT or like trying to break a record but I think for the kind of stuff I was doing like what what did it matter yeah yeah and, and talking about kind of suffering so we've got, we've got the photo of your uh, wonderful shoes on a chair oh my goodness me um right and you mentioned briefly as well earlier about having to go home because of an injury so how, how did your kind of feet and your body then cope with this kind of continuous movement yeah so they say honestly like pretty well I feel like I've been injured non-stop since then but um for that 10 months pretty well um and I think probably uh, again this is my just own kind of assumption I don't know how scientific this is but I think although I was doing kind of a lot of miles and especially by the end I had built up to that quite slowly and they were all at a very like low intensity it's not like like I find I get really injured if I go out and start running like trying to do those interval sessions on the pavement all the time whereas I was running on trails all the time especially in the winter it was so muddy it was like I was basically swimming through it wasn't any impact at any point to get injured with um and yeah it was all like very low intensity and I was doing and it was all I was doing every day it's not like I was trying to run like 15 miles and then go and do a really busy day at work and have like a social life it was all I was doing so I was quite lucky with that really and I took I took a rest day every week um so I had a day off yeah pretty much every week um and yeah my body seemed to hold up quite well really I think bodies are quite impressive with what they can put up with and also I was eating so much especially <laughs> I mean you need to bring out the book about the the guy to all the cake shops on the coast of Britain yeah. because they seem quite a tour yeah but I think under fueling this kind of stuff is like such a surefire road to injury and I mean I was eating way too much at points I think like I said like, I, def I definitely put on some weight which is quite impressive really um <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if that helps. multi-day events, like, people tend to lose weight when they've done multi-day. <laughs> I've come back looking like a complete emaciated. Yeah, you missed out the cake stops and the yeah, home cooking. I need to change but my I approach. Women, like underfueling is such a like reason for for injuries and stuff. Mm. And yeah, I definitely wasn't underfueling basically. So I don't know if that helped as well. But um, really? yeah, maybe it's just luck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, mean, I just see the hair dry in the shoe now. I thought it was a leg. Oh no! no <laughs> I, it's I, I, I suddenly see it now. It's like not that. I have to get my eyes tested today. But they're not. They're not that bad. But I just need like you know, I can see the hair drying now. I, <laughs> um, I was going to say like with the complete lack of planning, you didn't even really know how far it was because you said, "Well, I looked and there was anything from like four thousand to seven thousand miles." I'm really impressed that you finished in the time you said you were going to finish, and you kind of planned like. 
I don't know, like a month ahead, you said I'm going to finish on this day. And, and it seemed to work out really well for you, that timing. Yeah, I think because, so I thought it was about 5,000 miles based on quite a few people had like walked and cycled it. And, and that most be seen to what they'd done. And I think I'd, I'd be interested, like I know Nick Butter's running the coast of the UK at the moment, but I think there are just so many different options in terms of like different bits and routes you could take and what kind of rules you had. So I think it'd be a tricky one to put like a really strict FKT to, I, I don't know. But um, yeah, I thought it'd be about 5,000 miles. And I think that, and then I'm roughly basically working that out on what Anna McNuff's um, daily mileage was. I thought that would take about 10 months. She's doing about 17 miles a day. And I think it just became a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy in the end, to be honest. Like, I think I was like mentally quite ready to be done. And so I just started working towards I was like I need to do this map I think the first kind of four five, probably the first half I was really like getting to grips with it I didn't have a clue what I was doing and by the time we got into the second half I I knew roughly how far I could go each day and how long different sort of, sort of terrain would take and stuff so I was able to plan it a lot more and the second half was a lot better planned like I would generally sit down kind of a month in advance and work out a, almost like day-to-day schedule for the next month um and it was a lot better planned there wasn't a spreadsheet but there was a, a list on my phone and also because I was staying with people I had to do that a lot because obviously you can't turn up someone's house unexpected like if people are offering you somewhere to stay they generally want to know roughly when you're going to show up so um basically the second half was a lot better organized and I was probably working to about a month lead time although it would change like things always change kind of week to week but um yeah it got a lot more predictable whereas at the beginning I was just like what am I doing? I know. And it seemed like really, I think you'd done kind of, I can't remember if you were halfway ish. And then you were like, but I've got to do the second half in like half that time. And you just thought you can't possibly do that. But then you suddenly started really clocking up the big days when you seemed to be kind of around Scotland with the, the longer days as well. Yeah, and I think, like I said, that was probably more because at the beginning, there were a lot of days I really just wasn't doing many miles. And and at the time I felt a bit pathetic <laughs> and I was like this like people think I'm on this really hard thing and I'm like it's like someone's doing like eight miles and I, I mean I, I walk a lot now as well and like, I could easily walk that in like two and a half hours like what am I doing but I, yeah again and it, and it wasn't planned like this there was just physically pretty much all I could do and then as I kind of got a bit fitter and a bit better and more used to it the, the bigger miles just seemed to like make sense and then also the day that there became a lot more hours to do it in like in Scotland especially when I was camping and I didn't have to like get to someone's house at a certain time like it was light until about midnight a lot like at the peak of summer um and it just kind of felt like it fell into place a bit um so yeah it just it just seemed to all work out in the end but there definitely was that moment halfway I was like I've got to do this again <laughs> so you just think I'm gonna be here years <laughs> <laughs> but but sometimes when we got the, the end a lot clearer in sight, it, it, you know, it tends to motivate us, doesn't it? It tends to en- en- enable us to push that little bit harder to dig and sharpens our focus, doesn't it? So it must have been as you kind of were then coming down that, that east coast, like, yeah, I'm on the homeward straight almost sort of thing. And I think the hardest thing at the beginning was that it was that just like never endingness of it just the thought of like this is going to go on forever and I remember having a bit of a bit about a thousand miles in and I'd been going for a few months and I was like if I just told people that I was going on a thousand mile long run it's almost like irrelevant how far it is it's just in the like really long way category and I'd be finished now and everyone would be really impressed I'd be really impressed and 
if I just picked something a bit shorter, that would be it. We'd be finished now. And it, it was that thought of, like, I've got to do this distance. Yeah, like, another four times. What is going on? But And also, I think but I was quite conscious of not breaking myself. Like, I think, I think that's something, like, yeah, I grappled with a lot. That I was like, if I on a day-to-day basis it didn't necessarily feel like it feels when you go and run like a 50 miles in a day and you get to the finish line you're like I literally can't walk another step and I felt like it should feel like that but you I don't think you can do you can't sustain that for that long amount of time and I think I was quite conscious of yeah basically not like burning myself into the ground whereas when it got a bit more towards the end I was like well it's fine if I sort of push it a bit because I get to stop this at some point so it doesn't need to be as sustainable I've just put a picture of you grinning in front of the um, Southwest Coastal Path side. I think just because you, I think you even say in the book, like, I should have just done this. (laughs) (laughs) And I'd be finished by now and not still have all these other countries to go. Honestly, yeah, I think that's how I felt a lot. I'd like, and when I got to the end of the Wales Coast Path, I was like, this is a really long way. (laughs) Why didn't I just do this? So, yeah, I could definitely maybe recommend not doing a 5,000 mile run for your first big adventure. And then also, really peak too soon <laughs> like, <laughs> no one's ever going to by anything again <laughs> you said that peaking too soon and not, not dead, but was there any other points when you went home and you just thought like that's it I'm just sacking this off I've, I've, I've given it my best shot done the best I can very British about it all uh, that's it I'm going to find the next adventure I'm, I'm just going to go and do Southwest Coast Path or um, yeah. do, do, do the West Highland Way or something <laughs> There were a lot of moments where I felt like quitting, like almost on a daily basis in the winter. My mum, apparently my mum said to one of my best friends at the finish line, she was like, thank God that's over. I can't have any more phone calls about this. <laughs> well, especially if you're talking about the shop, what's on the shop, the shelves yeah. at the supermarket. <laughs> so, so. I don't realise about it, like doing these things. There's so much kind of like mundaneness to it and just a lot of like time to kill and like yeah my mum I filled all that time with phoning phoning my mum and um yeah just annoying her basically and there definitely were a lot of moments where I wanted to quit and I was and the kind of way I got what just kept trying to be like you've just got to do like a bit like just not thinking about the whole thing just being like got to do a bit more and then also like trying to really focus hard on actually enjoying that bit I was like you need to do another week and like have a nice time and then you could do another week and try and have a nice time but I did almost give myself a bit of a get out of jail card I think it was when I was in South Wales and I think I was like I've done the whole south coast of England the whole southwest coast path I'm like a bit of the way through Wales and it was just the thought of running the rest of the way around Wales then loads more of England and the whole of Scotland I was like this is ridiculous so I told myself I made this bargain with myself that I could just run the rest of Wales up the west coast of England and then when I got to Scotland if I wanted I could cycle around Scotland and kind of turn it into a bit of a duathlon so I'd still done this whole loop and I don't know if I ever would have actually done that but I think I just needed to know that I could carry on because I think just the thought in my head of running that far was just too much so I told myself I could and then I got to Scottish Border and I carried on running and it was fine but I think in general like that's how I can do much better and go further if I know there's like if I can stop and it's like just do a little bit more and then you can stop whereas I think other people are much more motivated by there being no get out of jail card and it being like you have to finish whereas I definitely do better if I'm like like even if I'm just going for a normal run I'll leave the door being like you can just do this bit and then normally you end up doing the whole thing so um yeah basically I told myself I could cycle around Scotland if I needed to. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but you didn't. 
The other thing that I I found really refreshing in the book is you kind of talking about how you funded this because I sometimes look at what people are doing and you just think, well, that's for people that can afford to do that and afford to take a year off work and I I can't do that. So um, I think that was really refreshing when you were like actually struggling financially with the challenge. Yeah, definitely. So I think before I set off, I kind of roughly worked out how much I thought I might spend on it and I kind of saved up a bit of money by moving to a really cheap house share at the end of the tube line and I also I won an adventure grant and I got a bit of sponsorship money from the company that I worked for at the time um and I set off and like I thought it'd be fine about well yeah and it turned out I'd massively underestimated that basically <laughs> and so I I started I actually did worked a little bit as I went around like I had an iPad with me and I did a bit of very badly paid copywriting on all matter of weird subjects um to kind of make a little bit of money as I went around and then my dad basically bailed me out for the last kind of couple of months which yeah I was like I wanted to talk about that because I was like like you say like doing these big things can be really inaccessible and I like I'm definitely I actually read a funny BBC article about basically upper class adventurers a few weeks ago which made me laugh I was like my dad's a gardener my mum works in a cafe I'm definitely not from that kind of family but equally my dad could help me out a bit at the end and he did and I wouldn't have been able to finish otherwise and I think yeah it's important to talk about that stuff but equally I think the running's good because fundamentally it is quite cheap whereas if you think about adventures like climbing Everest or rowing across an ocean they cost hundreds of thousands of pounds whereas doing something like I did wasn't any more expensive than kind of going backpacking around, I don't know, Thailand or somewhere for a few months or a year. So um, I think these things can be really doable. And I think like running and cycling and stuff is like a good way to explore. But equally, yeah, obviously taking 10 months out, I know it's very like privileged to be able to do that. Um, but yeah, I did do a bit of weird working on the way. <laughs> and then, yeah, a man... Off, a man offered to buy all my old dirty running shoes with a foot fetish and I was very tempted <laughs> I was like I can't put a picture like this <laughs> excellent all right if he wants to buy any of my if he's watching now if he's still in contact in any way by all means send him my details um I have got lots of lots of pairs of run running shoes which have been well used are very dirty and um, more than happy to sell them definitely more than happy. distributor like according to his facebook page i think he distributed like other people with foot fetishes and but mostly it was kind of like quite nice shoes and then he he was clearly like branching out into sweaty old running shoes this wasn't was somebody who was also like offering a night stay for you were there oh god <laughs> <laughs> run, run for the hills because there were a few weird stories that we weren't going to. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, there's quite a few more that didn't make the book. <laughs> well, I got met only just people who message sent quite strange messages. Like I had one guy message saying that he only had one bed, but it was fine. We could share, and I was like, I think I won't stay with you. Yeah. Yeah. So. But but no thanks. Yeah, <laughs> alarm, alarm bells ringing. It. I. Yeah. Well, maybe. Yeah. I'm now going to try and. Do some Googling search afterwards and go on some Facebook groups, see if I can sell my, my old running shoes. So one thing that the book didn't really have, have space for, I'm guessing, is kind of post-adventure mm. blues and how you got back into normal life. Yeah, because you said this. this was like, what, five years ago? So what's yeah. happened? 
in, in those five years. So you say, you say you're doing a bit more running, keep getting injured. We'll have to talk about that as coaches, but anyway. Um, so yeah, what's been happening? Yeah, so I I feel like I did all the things you like shouldn't do when you finish an adventure. So firstly, if, I, if anyone was ever going to do anything like this, I would really think about factoring into your adventure planning some sort of like coming home fund because I arrived home, I didn't have a penny to my name and I was in my parents' spare bedroom like, and I just had no idea what to do. Um, so I ended up moving pretty much straight back to London. I took a, a job actually with my boss from before I went at a new company she was working for. Um, and just, yeah, kind of moved back to London. And I think something I was kind of worried about, well, not worried, but I was like, all, for a year, my whole life had just been doing this run. It all I'd like talked about. I guess normally you have like lots of different things going on in your life, whereas all I did was this run. And I was like, who, like, who am I when it, finishes and so yeah I just I moved back to London I moved in with one of my best friends and I basically just spent the next year going to the pub a lot I started dating someone who didn't like going outside so we you know I didn't go outside at all I didn't do much running I did a bit of sporadic running but not much really and then basically the cut so then did that for about a year and like it was, it was fine but I think I would have been a lot happier if I carried on doing some sort of movement rather than just going straight from running for a year to going to the pub for a year and then I started running again a bit like classic like built up just started doing way too much too soon got injured um and then to once that healed to try and stop getting injured again I started doing some sessions with a running coach um to help teach me what sort of strength stuff I needed to do and I think by virtue of the fact I was paying him he started me on like a running plan starting almost completely from the from the bottom again and yeah, by virtue of the fact I was paying him, I religiously did those runs on my plan. And this would have been 2018, so like three years ago now. And kind of just, yeah, got really into running again, just as part of my everyday life. And now I'm, I'm joking a bit when I say I've been injured constantly since, but I've definitely had more injuries than I did on the run. But, um, and now like most of my social life revolves around not just running, but like hiking and camping and like going on adventures and it's what, how like I moved to Bristol about a year ago now and I was like I knew I'd be fine moving to a new city because I was like I'll just joined a running club and I feel like that's my whole life now in like a nice balance sort of way but um I definitely had a year or so of just yeah and it did feel like a lot of pressure like there's a lot of what next and I was like I don't want to go on another 10 month run I just want to be sort of sleep in the bed <laughs> my own bed <laughs> but 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 you said like you had that itchy feet like at the beginning of the book you know what led you on to the journey going back you know working in office uh, and we often talk about as runners having sometimes like the kind of runs blues or a bit of a fallout post a big event sometimes or we've done a big challenge you know did you just adapt straight back into it did you kind of like were you mourning not having that that kind of experience you was having you know like waking up and like I've just got a few you know do X amount of miles as they get to that point, but now all of a sudden in nine to five, bish bosh bang, routine again. We're not kind of going like sat there looking out the window, daydreaming, going, oh, I wish I was on the coast of Scotland again. Oh yeah, definitely. Like I was pretty miserable. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like I was a nightmare, and uh, yeah, definitely wasn't my like happiest period. And I think. It was that kind of, yeah, and I think it was when I started, like, running again and found ways to kind of incorporate that into my everyday life a bit more. Like, I really strongly believe that we can do so much, like, running and having adventures, like, after work and at the weekends and in your annual leave. And up until 
November of last year when I went freelance I had like a full-time nine-to-five job for the whole time I finished doing the run um and everything I was doing was just in my spare time and I think it's when I actually started doing that in my spare time I realized that I didn't need to be on a 10-month adventure to get a lot of the things that I loved about being on it in my yeah in my everyday life like I think getting up early and going for a run to see the sunrise a lot of times it's almost almost as good um so yeah I think it was building that into my everyday life that um kind of made me get a bit more balance um I think and I also yeah just went from working at a tech startup to I started working at walking charities and like an outdoor events company and that being that thing that like you're passionate about being a bit part of your everyday life but I don't think that has to look like being a full-time adventurer yeah I was gonna say whether I mean because they are full-time adventurers and one of the things that really came across in your book you were very open about the reasons you were doing this and it wasn't um like the fact that you were inspiring people came later and maybe was something you were found it difficult to accept but you were we're kind of really honest about the reasons and uh, there was a bit of well I want to be able to tell people I did this and we don't get that from the full t- all of the full-time adventures I'm trying to be quite is that last episode we can say whatever you like no I'm not naming names be, be bitchy be bitchy as you want come on this is what people are tuned in for tonight they're tuned in for swearing nobody wants the running chat come, come on let's go through them and <laughs> We've got photos and more like that. No, haven't we? Haven't we? we haven't got photos. And more no, like but I mean, it's that kind of. I don't know. Like, I sometimes, I think I said to you before. Like, I sometimes feel that people want the recognition in a book and so, then so. and then work backwards from there. And you just yeah. didn't do it. You did it the other way, where this all seemed to happen by chance later. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I said that diplomatically. Yeah, well, I, mean, you, I don't you, think you, it was a question, you, though. You, it was. You, my... you, you, bitched about it a few times to me Let, let's say so that's, could have you have kind of moved on from this become a full-time adventurer set yourself up with speaking and then I guess there'd be that pressure to what next and like oh well I'll have to walk backwards around the coast of Britain or something like that around the coast of Australia. <laughs> yeah I think and when I basically when I first finished so I finished like end of August and I think I moved back to London and started another like full-time job end of October so there was like a two-month period where I was like yeah doing some talks and stuff and I think I don't know like again I think a lot of the time like what you see online as a really like fun life isn't like that I think a lot of the time being and some people really make it work and there are some really successful people but a lot of the time the people kind of doing the full-time adventure life it's it's really stressful and there's no like stability and you're kind of broke all the time and, and I didn't want that like I didn't think that sounded very fun and I think um, I, and I'm definitely like happy now that I've managed to like move towards doing a bit more, yeah, freelancing rather than working kind of nine to five full time. And I really like that flexibility. But I still most of the freelancing is like doing like marketing for companies. It's not doing adventure stuff. Um, and yeah, I think I just what I missed when I was away was the kind of I like having friends and a home and that sort of stuff. And I I kind of through this kind of stuff, I'd met a lot of people doing the full time adventure thing. There's a lot of like sleeping on people's sofas and then doing an adventure that isn't necessarily a thing you want to do. It's just that you need to go and do something interesting to do talks about. And I was like, this it what I was like, this just doesn't seem very fun to me. Like so yeah, that was why I didn't do that really. And I was especially tired I didn't really know how you like properly made any money money out of it. Like I did a lot of like doing talks for free, and I was like, well, 
And I can sweat your social media can just give us such a one dimensional impression of how people are living their lives and it looks like some people are having great adventures in their lives and doing amazing things but underneath yeah you never know what's really going on in the backstory and how they're struggling and that instability so and i think like guilty that elizabeth and so much that like i i quite often have had conversations with people in the past few years who i guess from instagram think that that's what i do all the time and, and like i said literally until six months ago i had a full time well not just nine to five like quite long hours stressful job a lot of the time but you just I don't you don't post sitting at your desk doing your day job because that's not very exciting so and I think it's not it's not like trying to hide something it just you just don't so I think it's easy to like look at people online and think oh they must be doing this all the time and most of the time that's like most people I know actually do also have a bit of a day job but yeah just don't necessarily show that and so how did the book come around I'm guessing that you weren't kind of knocking on all the publishers doors begging them to accept this book deal because it sounded like you they came to you so basically, Debbie, who was my editor, um, she emailed me when I was actually doing the run to say she'd read some of my blog posts and had a thought about writing a book. And I've wanted to write a book for so much longer than I wanted to go on a run. Like, I, I think I always thought I'd like try and write a novel one day. Like I did English at uni. Like that was my thing I liked doing as a kid. Um, I'd never thought about any like tangible actually doing it. But I just thought I'd really love to write a book one day. So when I got that email, I was like super excited. I was like, oh my gosh, someone like someone's asked me if I want to write a book. And then when I finished the run, we like I met up with Debbie and we had some conversations. But I think I just wasn't really like ready to write about it. Like I didn't have any perspective on the experience. I think I didn't know what I actually wanted to say about it. I feel like I could have written a book that was just like I did this on this day and this day. But yeah, I didn't have anything to say about it particularly. And and then kind of life just got in the way. Like I was always working, busy. And then a real cliche, but I got put on furlough last year when COVID hit. And I just thought, I've got several months now. I'm getting paid and I can't leave the house. If I don't have a go, I think I knew that I'd be annoyed if I didn't have a go at writing about it. And I was like, if I don't do it now, when am I ever going to do it? So I kind of did a bit of writing and put together the proposal and sheepishly crawled back to Debbie and said is there any chance you're still interested and luckily yeah like they had some meetings about it and look at the proposal and luckily they were still interested so um yeah that's kind of how it came about really I do have do have Covid to thank for it. (laughs) (laughs) Well it's a great book and your style of writing is is wonderful as well it's very kind of you know matter of fact but then also very open and honest which is always kind of refreshing in these books as as well so uh yeah, your 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 degree has paid you well. <laughs> I was useless at uni. My lecturers probably don't even know my name. I went to a few lectures, so um, yeah, I, I probably can't give that too much credit. But no, I think <laughs> that creativity then that was always kind of brewing in there. Uh, well, we've, we've been kept you kept you chatting for a, an, an hour. Normally, these interviews are for an hour. We always tend to over um, <laughs> run. Uh, Chris Williams has uh, just popped in and said he couldn't run for a bus never mind around britain fair play um i'm sure chris chris, chris read the book you'll be around britain in no chance <laughs> yeah. time. And, and, and i'm sure if, if it was really late for work you probably could actually sprint for that bus we also got a really good message from sarah hi sarah um early on and she said i really enjoyed following elisa's trip when i was very bored in my old job it was so fun to watch and inspired me to do more solo trips and to run that's um, uh, Alyssa, who now is based up in Edel and kind of does coaching as well. And, and inspires lots of people, people with yeah, their she has careers. Yeah, <laughs> does her own podcast as well, kind of recording outside, which is quite 
essentially, yeah, so the inspiration just kind of leaks through, doesn't it? And that was what I was going to ask, really, because I don't have 10 months to go and run around Britain because <laughs> I also have a mortgage and a dog and a husband. <laughs> But like, how how can we be adventurous? I'd let you go out for ten months. <laughs> the dog I miss. Oh, thank you. How can we be adventurous in our kind of normal lives? You already touched on just getting up and going out for a run in the morning. But how how can I make the most of just a weekend? Yeah, I think I think a good thing about the UK is obviously it's not a huge country and we do have some like fantastic national trails and stuff and there's quite a lot of them that you can do over kind of like a few days or a week like the the West Highland Way the my friend ran the um to Moors Way coast to coast across Devon a few weekends ago that we crewed and that was like fantastic really want to go and do that and I think yeah if you just there's a great Wikipedia page of long distance trails in the UK and loads of them are like really well signposted obviously can take a map if you're much more sensible than me. Um, and I think talk yeah. about map readers today. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded like you could. You were a bit better by the end. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, I think there's like there's loads of fantastic things we can do. But I, I also I think one of the main ways I do stuff is I, I can't drive. I don't have a car, so I use like moving as like a mode of transport a lot. And I think that was the thing that actually I started working for walking charity when I, yeah, kind of after the run a couple of years later and we were doing a step count challenge at work. And so I still lived in London, I used to get tube everywhere. And I just like walking or cycling everywhere instead. And I think that is the thing that like, without uh, being too cheesy, like did change my life. Like just not sitting on the tube every day and instead like walking or cycling for like half an hour, an hour to work, like fitting, doing this stuff in, in that like, quite day-to-day way I think is more important sometimes than going on a, a big trip every now and again but um yeah I think the national trails in the UK are great so check those out cool <laughs> and coast path more any of the southwest coast path is great <laughs> cool and do you have any kind of adventure plans kind of coming up now things like you talked about doing, you know, being into running. So you got plans to do any ultra marathons or races or events or other challenges coming up in the next year, two, three years. Yeah, I've got a few things. I'm running Hadrian's Wall with a couple of friends over weekend in September, which I think would be fun. Like the first thing really since COVID, <laughs> um, and then hopefully, kind of COVID allowing, um, I'm doing the Ultra X Mexico race, wow. which is. 250k through the Copper Canyons in November and I think like a lot of people like Born to Run was one of the main reasons I thought running seemed like a good idea so I'm really excited to do that hopefully and then closer to home I'm doing the Cape Wrath Trail next year which was mostly last year then this year um, I'm finally doing it next year which feels terrifying because it's a really long way so the actual, the actual race or just the trail it, the actual race have you done it I, I did the, the first year. He won it. You need to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's just really scary. It's such a long way. Yeah, it's, <laughs> you it, run around Britain. Yeah, it's, not, it's not. It's not. It's, it's not. It's, it's a long way. Why don't you just like run up to the start, and by the time you get to Fort William, you'll be warmed up. That'd be that'd be a warm up train. Oh, it's a great, brilliant, brilliant race. I mean, Shane, Shane Odie is a brilliant race organizer. And it's just a fantastic, I think it's it's one of the best races I've ever done. The route is just amazing. I mean, we were fortunate with the weather, but it's just a stunning, stunning route. And it, the days kind of mix and match and you get some easier days. And But, oh, yeah, you're, it's a brilliant, brilliant race. Fantastic. Excellent. Oh, great. 
So awesome, yeah. Well, we'll keep an eye out because we've got some athletes doing Cape Wrath in a couple of weeks' time in the August edition and then next year. Um, so uh, we'll keep an eye out for you then. So yeah, good luck with, with Mexico. We've had some more comments live on, on YouTube. Um, Lawrence Waters said, oh, Walters, sorry. I, I can't. Do you want me to read them because you haven't got your glasses on? <laughs> Lawrence Walters says, awesome book, Elise, great read. Megan Davis says, you are amazing. She did that in capital, so I could read that bit. That's they in capital. are actually my friends. I said oh, is that one of your friends? Oh, well, she's not been hurting a bit. Excellent. Well, your friends are bigging you up. Brilliant. Jonathan Russell says, excellent, good fun, thanks. So excellent fantastic right well everybody needs to um get off i think for the football but thank you so much for writing the book and then coming on to talk about it i loved it oh um, thanks so much having me and i'm glad yeah i feel honored to be your last episode i know well this yeah so oh, it's been great well, i'm taking you 10 months off to run around the coast of britain now so <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> I do occasionally get an email from someone saying they're going to do it and asking if I can like help and if I've got any planning sheets. And it's like it's not that I don't want to help, but I've got nothing I can offer you because I didn't do any planning. I was like, if I had spreadsheets, I'd send you them. Now, now, yeah, now, no, now you, you can, can just send them to Waterstones. <laughs> <laughs> Go and read the book. Oh, Me- Megan Davis says she was she was shouting. So uh, that, but thank you for, for shouting and making it loud. Here. Brilliant. Well, good luck with the the, uh, the rest of the year and training for for Mexico yeah. and. Uh, it, you know, if you do Mexico and Cape Wrath and you get some adventures, definitely write another book about those. That'd be awesome to kind of to read. <laughs> no, it'd be well. boring. They'll all be organised. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure there might still be some adventures happening in, in those. So, brilliant. Well, Thank all the best. So much. Yeah, and uh, we look forward to seeing you at some race and maybe seeing Cape Wrath next year as well. Thank well, you so much. much for joining us. Goodbye. Oh, fantastic. Brilliant. Well, oh, let me get rid of that as well. Clear out the uh, covering my face up there. With a book cover. There we go. Excellent. Very well. Awesome guest there. Hopefully, people are now inspired to go and have their adventures and yeah, make their own rules up. Yeah, don't you know? <laughs> Create your own rules. Go and have your own adventures. You don't have to kind of stipulate and always kind of make it so contrived and just go and have some fun. We hope you have enjoyed our last ever six months wild ginger running. <laughs> um, I'm sure we'll appear in some other locations and places. Um, thank you for all your wonderful comments we've had while we've been doing the interviews. It's been great, and also some of the feedback we've um, received from people who have listened to us on the podcast or, or listened to us on YouTube, watched us on YouTube, and. Uh, yeah, it's been 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 good fun, it's hasn't fantastic. it? Yeah. Uh, so thank you for joining us. Stay safe out there. If you're out on a run with listening to us, we hope you had a good run again. And uh, we'll maybe see you out on the trail sometime. I so. Yeah. yeah. Bye-bye, everybody. Take thank care. You. All the best. Bye. <laughs>Hi, it's Claire here. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. These live chats take place every Wednesday evening at 6.30pm UK time on World Ginger Running YouTube channel. And the link is in the show notes. I just wanted to let you know that you can find this and loads more advice and inspiration and gear tests all about trail and ultra running on my YouTube channel, Wild Ginger Running. There are training tips, advice from elite athletes, top coaches, nutritious recipes, key exercises, injury prevention information, and tons of trail kit reviewed from running packs to poles, waterproofs to head torches, GPS watches, and shoes, 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 and did I mention shoes? I've been going for a few years now, so there's a huge archive of content to help you out with your trail and ultra running. 
To quickly and easily find the information you need, simply type your query into the Google search box and then write wild ginger running after it. Then Google will show you whatever blog posts or films I have on that topic. Give it a try. And if you appreciate listening and all the information that I share on YouTube, you're also very welcome to support me on Patreon, which gets you some additional excellent perks and the chance to win some awesome prizes. For as little as the price of a cup of coffee every month, patrons get discounts, extra films, access to the exclusive Facebook and Strava groups, the chance to ask questions to every live chat guest, plus automatic entry into my monthly competition to win £400 worth of trail and ultra running gear. There are only about 150 patrons, so the odds on a win are way better than the lottery. Interested? Find me at patreon.com slash wildgingerrunning. Thanks for listening, guys. Have fun, enjoy your run, and I'll see you on the trails.